Welcome to the Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. And today I'm glad to be joined by my good friend, Matt Lewis. Matt is a writer, commentator, blogger with uh, The Daily Caller. He's a weekly columnist for the week. Uh, He's also a frequent guest on national news shows like Morning Joe or CNN with Jake Tapper, MSNBC, Fox, all those shows. Matt is a very astute analyst of the news and politics. He's also an evangelical Christian, Southern Baptist to boot. And we are going to talk with him about the state of the 2016 race. Kind of a crazy wide open race, a lot of candidates, some unconventional candidates. Uh, We're going to talk about evangelicals and political engagement. Is that changing? What's going on there? And then we're going to tease some themes from his new book, book that's coming out soon, called Too Dumb to Fail. Interesting title. By the way, I want to thank all of you who have written or tweeted or otherwise communicated about the Way Home podcast. We really appreciate it. And uh, this is how the word spreads. You tell a friend about it if you enjoy listening to it on your commute or or uh, while you're doing uh, things around the house. If you have any feedback or comments, or maybe there's a guest you'd like to see us interview that we're not thinking of, uh, email wayhome at erlc.com, and we will do our best to get back to you. By the way, if you've missed some of our podcasts, uh, you can go to danieldarling.com and see all the conversations we've had with people like David Platt or Oz Guinness, Molly Hemingway, Max Licato, Johnny Moore. We have a wide variety of guests on here. Uh, you can go there, you can download them, or you can find a link to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or any other way you get podcasts. But for now, let's join our conversation with my friend Matt Lewis. Well, glad to have my friend Matt Lewis here on the Way Home Podcast. Matt, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, buddy. Good to talk to you, as always. So I want to talk about a lot of stuff about uh, these Planned Parenthood videos that have been coming out about abortion, about the presidential race. But first, I want to ask, how did you grow to love baseball? Was it something that you loved growing up, something you did with your dad? I mean, what put that love of baseball in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to my dad. It goes back to, it was really the only organized sport we had where I grew up in the time that I grew up. And it was, I mean, it was a really American sort of thing. I don't think that kids nowadays have that. I mean, mm-hmm. soccer was not an option. Yeah. It, it just wasn't a thing. And, you know, my uncle Paul taught me to catch uh, a baseball and my dad hit a million pop-ups to me. Um, throughout my, throughout my life. Mm. And I think as a kid, you've got a lot of time on your hands. So watching a nine inning game every day is pretty doable. I sort of drifted away from it a little bit. Um, in the late nineties, in the late Mm nineties, when the Orioles really, they had a new owner, um, and they really did not seem to be committed to winning. But I feel like since Buck Showalter became the manager, I've really, in the last several years, it's really just reignited my love of the game and of the Orioles. Yeah. It's interesting. There's been a resurgence in baseball. You know, it, I feel like, you know, you had the steroid era. Uh, you had just kind of the, you know, the strike in 94. I mean, it's just like now there's just a great resurgence in it. It might be one of the last few kind of like vestiges of Americana left, right? Yeah. It really is. There's something very special about it. There's something American. Um, I'm from Maryland, and um, it's one of, you know, 
it's sort of like if you're part of a tribe, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's wearing that Oriole cap is, is like the symbolic way of me still being a part of something that it's the same thing. I have the same, essentially the same hat that I wore as a little kid. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. That's a conservative thing. I'm glad to have that that connection and that tradition. Yeah. Speaking of conservatives, I want to kind of segue. Uh, uh, you've you've written quite a bit uh, on this, the, not just you know you're conservative, uh, pro life and pro marriage and just generally a conservative, but you've written also on the state of conservatism as a movement. You've got a new book coming out soon called Too Dumb to Fail kind of assessing the nature of the conservative movement. So we're in uh, beginning of a primary season, right, for the 2016 presidency. We're kind of in what I call silly season, right? So where you just, on both sides, you just kind of see some silliness, people trying to pander to different votes. But when you look at conservatism today, what concerns you enough to write a book? And then maybe what what gives you hope? Yeah, well, I think we're at a crossroads. I mean, the book Mm -hmm. is... Um, the book is really a culmination of been writing about and thinking about for years, mm-hmm. uh, for at least the last five years. And the, th- the thesis is that conservatism started out as a thoughtful philosophy that sort of after Reagan, it got dumbed down and bastardized. And then the final third of the book is my recipe for the way forward, how we can get back to uh, thoughtful conservatism. I really feel like we're at a crossroads right now. It could go either way. Mm. I mean, I think when you look at at, uh, Donald Trump, Mm. you have a prime example of how it could go off the rails. Yeah. Is, is, um, if I could interject here, is, is Donald Trump, it it seems like an example of capitalizing on a kind of hucksterism that exists within a small part of conservatism. Is, Is that an accurate sort of look at it? I don't know. You know, I wrote recently a Wall Street Journal um, column about the so-called scam packs, and mm-hmm. there certainly is a problem on the right. See, goes back to the Eric Hoffer quote, uh, starts out as a movement, turns into a business, and ends up as a racket. Yeah. I honestly don't know, though, if that's what Trump is. I think Trump is a different phenomenon. I think it, I think it speaks to the... Um, the fact that that a lot of people who think they're conservatives are actually not conservatives; they're actually right wing populists. Mm. And I think that's what I don't necessarily think that Trump is a huckster. He doesn't need to make money doing this. He's got plenty of money. Mm. Um, but I do think he is tapping into some things that are um, not really conservative, but um, but potentially dangerous and, and concerning. So on one hand, I think 2016 could be the movement and the party going the wrong direction. I think that would be Donald Trump would, would be the prime example of that. But I think there's also an amazing possibility that somebody like Marco Rubio, who I think speaks to the other end, who really fits the the definition, I think, of what I'm advocating for, uh, maybe more than anybody else who's running. And that is um, what I call modernized, don't, moder- don't moderate. So, mm-hmm. You know, Rubio is a solid conservative. He's he's pro-life. He's for low taxes, strong national defense. So he's not selling out his conservative ideas or becoming liberal. But I think he can talk to a 21st century America that is 
different demographically and in, in, uh, in terms of education, in terms of ethnicity, um, and frankly, in terms of um, just culturally different. I think that someone like Rubio could go on The Daily Show if John Stewart were still there, or mm-hmm. Dave Letterman if Dave Letterman were still there, and hold his own. And I'm I'm not sure that. Um, that's true of all of the candidates. Uh, it, it seems to me too, just even in, in, and I'm 37, but I've been following this stuff for, you know, I'd say 20 years or so since I was in you know high school. And it seems like the, the, the so-called definition of what a true conservative is keeps changing, right? So, you know, there's people that have been solidly conservative on the core issues, but all of a sudden they're considered sellouts because they're not, def- you know, they're not for Donald Trump or they're, they're not, rabidly anti-immigrant or, you know, right. there's some well, right other... Right now, I mean, I would say as of today, if you don't support getting rid of birthright citizenship, essentially, if you oppose getting rid of the 14th Amendment, mm-hmm. you are not a real conservative. I mean, to me... That's yeah, the definition that, today. That's crazy. And, and the thing, I want you to speak a little bit about this, and I think it does segue into what we're seeing with Planned Parenthood. Um, a lot of evangelicals, I think this is where the media, the political people who cover the candidates get evangelicals wrong. Uh, I think – I mean I know a lot of evangelicals are not only troubled by Trump. I'm saying conservative evangelicals, but this 14th Amendment rabidly anti-immigration uh, platform really troubles a lot of evangelicals based on this – it's sort of dehumanizing of the immigrant, is it not? Well – I mean, I think you've got a couple things at play here that can both be true. Um, I mean, I, I certainly think that you can have, uh, as a country, you can support, you know, uh, defending the border mm-hmm. and, um, you know, essentially closing the border, but also welcoming immigrants. And mm. I would encourage more legal immigration. Yeah. But I do think it's a matter of, of motive and tenor and... Uh, and the heart. And you can certainly tell that a lot of the people who are really animated by the anti-immigration sham, they're not operating from a position of of logic or compassion. They're angry and afraid. Mm -hmm. And that's not really, I think if you're a believer, that's not really a good place to be. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of like the, where do you stand on the issues? question. And, um, but I think there's also really, there's a deeper issue about, does this say something about how you feel about immigrants and, uh, and for that matter, Hispanics, because I do think that, you know, John, I don't know if you know this, John Cornyn won the Hispanic vote in Texas mm-hmm. in 2014. I, I think that you can, you know, I know Texas is different than California, mm-hmm. let's say, but that's an example of somebody who's a conservative, a relatively conservative Republican, who worked really hard and won that vote. It's not impossible to win. Um, but if they think you don't like them, I wouldn't vote for Republican. If I were yeah. Hispanic and just didn't, frankly, follow politics closely, I probably wouldn't vote for Republicans either. Because I'd probably turn on the TV and CN Coulter saying horrible things about my family. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, that's and that's yeah. the conversation that we have with uh, Hispanic pastors. I mean, I talked to my friend Sammy Rodriguez, president of the National Hispanic Leadership Coalition, very conservative, pro-marriage, pro-life, very wanting limited government. I mean, they would 
they would vote conservatively, and yet they sense an animus from some parts of the conservative movement. And so I, it speaks to what you're saying. Uh, let me let me a- yeah. a- transition um, a little bit to um, the Planned Parenthood story, the ongoing story, and uh, kind of you know where we are on this on the the, the abortion issue. Are, are we, Matt, in a pro-life moment here where there could be a shift, uh, not just in public opinion, but even in the kind of perception of Planned Parenthood where we might see some serious change? Well, I think so. I don't know to what extent, but I think that people who watch these videos are having their minds changed. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've been skeptical or some, in some cases, critical of, of this sort of version of activism slash journalism. That's kind of like gotcha, hidden camera, mm-hmm. guerrilla journalism, which I think some in, in some cases has gone, has been counterproductive. But I think this has been um, an amazing, as far as I can tell, based on what we know today, that this has been uh, an, an amazingly well-executed and important Mm-hmm. project that that is really taking place. I mean, you could write a million blog posts that would not have the impact of one of these videos. I mean, the people sipping Chardonnay and picking at their salads while cavalierly talking mm-hmm. about harvesting baby organs is mm-hmm. if that does not uh, turn your stomach, uh, I don't know what will. And just the fact that they've slowly release these videos over the course of weeks and maybe even months at this point. Um, so look, I, I mean, I think that, that, that these folks deserve a lot of credit for exposing Planned Parenthood. And I do think that, that there will be hearts and minds changed, uh, people forced to sort of accept what it is that abortion actually is. Mm. And then I think also, frankly, it's just, you know, what, what we've been talking about for a long time, the fact that ultrasounds, now mm-hmm. that everyone posts the ultrasound on their Facebook, yeah. make it pretty darn clear that it's a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all these things are converging. It is interesting how this issue is so much more favorable, I think, than the marriage issue yeah. in terms of traditional uh, conservatives winning, I think, on one and losing on the other. Mm-hmm. It almost seems... Are we getting to a place where um, to be associated with Planned Parenthood is almost toxic? You know, for f- up till now, if you're if you're a Democrat, at least, you know, you proudly stood with Planned Parenthood. You know, you took money from them. You think that'll even affect even on on the left? Like to be associated with them will be kind of they'll have to distance themselves. You think we'll get to that place? That's a good question. I don't know. I I'm not as I'm not that tied into that scene. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I don't hang out with a lot of people who like Planned Parenthood. Mm. So <laughs> it's hard for me to yeah. hard for me to guess. I, I would I think it would be great if we got to that point. Yeah. Um you know, but there's always gonna be the spin. Look let's go back to Donald Trump, you know, mm-hmm. who who recently said he would not defund Planned Parenthood mm. because they do a lot of great stuff for women's health and he would just not fund the abortion part of it. Of course, doesn't realize that money's fungible and and uh, yeah and all that. But that's okay because he hates the Mexicans, as he says. So yeah, um, so that's good enough for a lot of people, I guess. Um, it, the interesting thing too is just the role of technology. You mentioned ultrasounds, but I 
you know, how, how interesting is it where we are in this in this moment where, um, you know, videos have really sparked change. So even if you think you got the Planned Parenthood expose videos, but even like the videos of like Eric Garner uh, being choked to death in New York and right. sparking protest about the conduct of police officers, even the Ray Rice elevator video in the NFL and how, you know, that sparked a lot of outrage, you know, justifiably at the NFL. And we're in kind of that moment, right, where what what you knew kind of was going on, but you could kind of ignore, now you almost can't, right, because you have to see it. You really do. And if something's captured on video like that, it's a game changer. I mean, again, if a journalist had just witnessed the Eric Garner thing and had written about it, it would not have had... No you know, a fraction of the, uh, of, of the impact that, uh, that these videos have. It's, you know, and now everybody, almost everybody at almost all times has a camera on them. And so the potential for getting video, uh, the potential for, um, cameras are smaller than ever, uh, of catching this. Um, it's, it's really, a different world. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, you just can't, you you just can't overstate how different it is to have, I mean, the whole Ray Rice thing, everything Mm -hmm. else could be identical, but you don't have that video. Mm -hmm. Um, then it's a whole different story. Absolutely. Yeah. And how much kind of grief we give people when they refuse to see what we can all clearly see. So, you know, if you're defending the cops, it's hard to defend them when we're all seeing that in the Eric Garner video or if somehow you were defending Ray Rice, which I don't know how you could. Or if you're defending Planned Parenthood, there's just no way to not see what we all see. So it's we are kind of in an in- interesting moment, I would say. Let me ask you uh, just video some... Makes a, I was gonna say, video makes a big difference. I, I, I still remember to this day when Rush Limbaugh had a TV show that Roger Ailes produced. Hmm. And it didn't really work that well, but there was one thing that Rush showed that that radio would not have captured. And it was, um, Bill Clinton was at the funeral of the, I think he was at the time, the head of the DNC Mm. who died in a plane crash. And you can see video of Bill Clinton walking and talking with somebody, I don't know, Terry McAuliffe or somebody, and they're laughing and joking. And then Clinton's eyes sort of span and he looks right at a camera. And as soon as he sees the camera, he starts to tear up Mm. and he wipes a tear from his eye. And it was just amazing. Mm. And Rush, I remember, I, I still remember seeing that video and how it just didn't tell you that Clinton was this con artist, but it really showed you mm. how he he was so effective at it. Mm. Let me pivot a little bit just to talk about your career and writing and creativity uh, in the last little section here. You've been write, you've been a journalist and a columnist for a number of years. I guess the first question is, what would you say is the, kind of the secret to your your sustaining your career and your success in doing what you do? Not quitting. Mm. I think uh, Winston Churchill said the definition of success is going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Mm. There's a lot of talented people, more talented than me, who make a splash and then they they burn out. They move back home, work at their daddy's insurance or company in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, it's staying it's staying motivated 
every day um, and not quitting. It's it's finding ways to, um, you know, having a family uh, that keeps you, you know, grounded and positive, being part of your church and, and, and getting fed spiritually. It's having hobbies and friends who don't care if you're on TV uh, or if you're popular or if some, if you do say, say or do something stupid or controversial, it's reading and, and, and finding ways to, to stay stimulated and inspired. It's sometimes taking a vacation, mm. stepping away and, and recharging your battery. It's having an infrastructure and a system in place. It's, it's a long ball game. Mm. And, um, and how do you stay, you know, how do you stay relevant and, 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 uh, and in this business and not, you know, not let it burn you out. The, the wars and rumors of wars, the terrorist attacks that you have to sometimes cover mm-hmm. because you're going on news talking about it. Um, those things are like way more important. I would say mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of the secret sauce. I think. Yeah. Let me ask you that. You know, you, most people know you talk about it in your in your writing that you're a evangelical Christian, go to a Southern Baptist church, I think, there in, in D.C. area. How has that changed or affected, the, I guess, the way that you um, cover and talk about politics and, and, and conservatism? What kind of impact does that have, uh, number one? And uh, number two, you know, it seems like, I mean, it's not a question, it just seems to me that it makes you more hopeful even when things look pretty pretty gloomy at times. Oh, I definitely think that's true. I mean, if, if all you have is this this world mm. and this world's going in the wrong direction, then, then you're in a bad spot. But if you have an eternal hope and if things outside of the realm of politics and your own success, for that matter, if your job's not going well, if you're not getting invited on the right TV shows, mm-hmm. um, then you have, then you transcend those things. And, um, it's, you know, politics are important, but they're not, they're not the most important thing. I think that's part of it. I think, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I'll say is, is more, I also think the more, um, the more, the closer, you know, I think everybody's sort of your relationship with God ebbs and flows and you have times where you feel like you're, you're, you're just doing a better job with, with your prayer and your, uh, and there are times when you feel like maybe you're not. But for me, the more committed I become as a Christian, the um, the more the sort of the kinder that I am with my writing. Mm. And um, I think that Tim Keller is right when you know when he says that if you're a hardcore leftist and you become a, a devout Christian, you'll become more conservative. If you're a hardcore conservative and you become a Christian, you might become a little bit more liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, that, that'll sound horrible to uh, to some hardcore conservatives out there who might be listening to us. But I do think you can understand um, the other side a little more and and gain compassion. Um, and you know, I, I tweeted something. I'm not going to repeat it, but I tweeted something a couple days ago that I feel bad about tweeting and, and, um, there are people who make a living by saying things and tweeting things like, like that. Mm. 
And uh, but that's not what I want. That's not what I want my career about. The last thing I'll say is, I think when I pray, one of the prayers that I always pray is like, please let me use very limited time that I have. Um, don't let me waste that time, you know, on trivial things or on things that are a net negative. Let me use the time and energy that I have for something that that is important and transcendent. And um, that's what I strive for with my writing. Now, do I always achieve it? I'm sure I don't. I mean, I'm sure I've written many a post about Donald Trump and Sarah Palin that's um, <laughs> it's going to go down the memory hole. But but I think you do need to strive. Like, it shouldn't just be, mm. Kate, you know, if, if, if your whole job, and I'm going to get in trouble because I work at a place that that has a variety of content uh, that helps subsidize my, my salary, but I can't imagine um, doing this just to do Kate Upton slideshows. Mm. Um, and uh, if that's what you have to do to get your foot in the door, then, then so be it. But, but I think that there's like big issues and important things and frankly, more important than politics even. Uh, so I, you know, I, I bring in, I bring in sometimes uh, religion and theology, and I think the defending the unborn is a very noble cause yeah. that um, that we should all be uh, part of as well. Well, we we appreciate your work, and I've been reading you for a long time. We've been friends for a while, and I've always appreciate your work. I guess one more question: You know, the more I'm in uh, D.C. and uh, meeting with people on what is congressional staffs or think tanks or columnists or influencers, the thing that surprised has surprised me the most in the last couple of years is just how many people of faith, particularly evangelicals and conservative Catholics, there are in key positions that will go to uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church or any of the you know evangelical churches around the D.C. area, and the hunger that there is for Christianity in the Beltway. You know, it kind of has this perception as this sort of, you know, godless town or whatever, but when you're there, that really surprised me. Does that surprise you as well? Um, it's not... <laughs> I, I go to work. I come. I come home. I, I spend time with my kids. I hang out with my wife. I don't go to cocktail parties. Um, I go to church in in Falls Church, Virginia, and it might it could be a small t- it could be a small town in the South or the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we overdo. There, I'm sure there are people who are soulless, mm-hmm. who are you know lobbyists and like just play the game all the time, but like. The notion that this is a bad era, this is a beautiful, this is the capital of the freest country in the world. Mm. And I'm tired of people beating up on Washington, D.C. Mm. I like, I like it here. And, uh, and it is what you make of it. If you want to put politics mm-hmm. first in your life, then that's what you're going to get. But you mm. can have a family, you can have, uh, you can go watch some Nats games. Right. And uh, you you can worship with fellow believers, and uh, you can do that in Mississippi, and you can do that here in our nation's capital. That's a great word, man. I appreciate you joining me, uh, and we again, I appreciate your work, and, and redo often, and keep fighting the good fight, man. All right, you too. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to thank my friend Matt Lewis for that great conversation on politics and the 2016 race. 
evangelicals, where they are. Very interesting stuff. Matt is plugged in more than almost anybody I know in Washington, D.C. He's really astute. He's got a great uh, column that he writes for the week and also a great blog at Daily Caller. We'll have links to all that in the show notes on the podcast page on danieldarling.com. If you like this broadcast, would you let us know by sending us an email, uh, wayhome at erlc.com, or if you have any feedback or if there's anybody you'd like to see us interview, we'd love to uh, hear your suggestions and see if we can make that happen. Also, I'd love for you to check out my brand new book, The Original Jesus, published by Baker Books. There's a link to this book on my website where you can also download a free first chapter. But for now, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast.